You're listening to a podcast from Meaning of Life TV. Joshua Rasmussen, it's good to see you again. Thank you. It's good to be with you again. Uh, welcome to everyone uh, in the uh, Sophia audience, meaningoflife.tv, bloggingheads.tv audience. This is the Sophia program. It's available on streaming video and audio podcast. I'm Daniel Kaufman, your host. I'm a professor of philosophy at Missouri State University. Um, and um, in addition to hosting Sophia, I also published an online magazine called The Electric Agora. Uh, I'm very pleased again to be with Joshua Rasmussen, who is an assistant professor professor at, is it Azusa? Is that the pronunciation? Yeah, Azusa Pacific. Azusa Pacific University? I, I happen to be associate professor at this point, but. Out, outstanding. You need to update your page, though. Yeah, that's true. Um, so you got, tenure, you got tenure. Yeah. Just recently? That was a couple of years ago, actually. Okay. Well, Some as, of those as, things that just have to be updated. As uh, as uh, my people say, uh, Mazel Tov. Um, <laughs> um, I um, viewers may not know, uh, but you know, viewers know probably that my I, my my parents are both Israeli. But um, what they don't know is that I didn't learn English until the first grade. Um, my parents uh, speak Hebrew in the house, mm-hmm. and um, so. Uh, uh, I, I, I employ a lot of Hebrewisms when they're apt, and uh, Mazel Tov is a very apt congratulation for uh, for something as major as acquiring tenure and being promoted. Um, um, what just as a, out of curiosity, what is Azusa? Is that does that is that a name? What is it? It's the name of a city. So I actually used to live in Azusa, uh, and there's like a Azusa Avenue that goes up. That and that's in L.A. County. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. There's actually like an un, unincorporated part of LA that it's, there's like technical distinctions, but, but sure, yeah. Sure. Um, um, and has this been your entire career or did you, were you at another university university? Well, so I did a postdoc at Notre Dame and then I came to Azusa Pacific after that and it's been happily ever after. Yeah. Since then. Yeah. Yeah. Are you all online? We are at this point. Yeah. So I'm teaching a couple of zoom classes which is tough. Uh, fortunately, these classes are small, so we've been having good conversations. So you're teaching live. You're doing live. Yeah. 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 That's. It just seems better. What about you, Dan? Are you doing um, so? Online? We're. I, I, we had a choice, and um, because of my age and things like high blood pressure, I elected to teach from home. So I'm teaching all online, but I'm not teaching live per se. What I'm doing is I'm recording video lectures every week. And then once a week during the, what would have been the class period, I'm holding live zoom discussion slash Q and a style things. Um, So uh, students can ask questions if they like. Um, But uh, I have to say it's certainly not only is it not ideal, (laughs) um, it's um, it's it's uh, rather depressing, actually. Um, It's tough. Yeah. And and I I did it that way last year, the asynchronous teaching. And it's tough to connect with the students. Really tough. Um, Yeah. Yeah. We're all looking forward to transition. Um, and I and I just don't know, you know, I, I'm signed up to do this again in the spring because I think the spring is going to be more of the same. I think the really interesting thing is whether in the fall of 2021 uh-huh. we'll be able to return to normal. 
um, or as close to it as we can get. That that's sort of my my I'm targeting my hopes um, for fall yeah, of 2021. <laughs> so, I'm right with you on that. Um, yeah. Right. Well, Joshua and I today, we're going to, we're going to talk about, um, questions, that, uh, in the area of epistemology, theory of knowledge. Um, and, uh, part of the reason is because I think that they kept coming up in the last discussion. Mm-hmm. And so, or at least they were implicated in the last discussion. And so I thought it would be a good, uh, a good topic for us to explore and see what differences we might have or not have. And regardless in the discussing of them, all sorts of interesting issues come up. So there's not really an agenda, you know, we're not discussing a specific paper or, um, but we are sort of going to uh, talk around a number of issues that have to do with epistemology. Now, maybe we'll just start with me asking you, Josh, um, um, because I may have had a misimpression. I was under the impression after watching a bunch of uh, of your content that you were, to a great extent, what I would call a, a classic, a classical or traditional foundationalist, um, uh, by which traditionally is meant that justification or warrant is essentially uh, inferential. And that because it is such, at a certain point down the chain of justifications, mm-hmm. one is going to have to arrive at some what are called in the game basic beliefs that have uh, some sort of epistemic status that renders them um, not required, that they don't require justification, but that they are uh, have the capacity to provide those, the justification for everything that's built on top of them. That's sort of the way it's classically formulated. And I was under the impression from a lot of your content that that you are somewhere in the area of being a traditional foundationalist. Now, I am not one. Um, and so why don't we start with asking, do, is this correct or, or do you have a different view? And if so, what 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 is the, the view that you hold? Yeah, so I want to make some distinctions. But first, I just wanted to say, Dan, I'm really glad that we can have this conversation. I felt like our first conversation, which is so much fun for me, that after you proposed this next one, I was just looking forward to it. Me too. Um, I enjoyed just, it. Yeah. And I, and I feel like there's something about maybe just clarifying some of the different possibilities that I feel like can help lay a groundwork for maybe progress um, of understanding some of these things. So I think, first of all, I would want to say I'm not a classic foundationalist, uh, where the classic foundationalists would say that those basic beliefs um, are certain or fallible or incorrigible. Um, so I, I'm probably what you might call a moderate foundationalist and that I would allow uh, basic beliefs to come in different degrees. Uh, Say that again, please. I, I missed you. The, 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 the basic beliefs will come in different degrees of justification. And then also I, I want to say that I do think that those basic beliefs require justification. It's just that they're basic because they're not, ba- they're not justified by other beliefs. So then the question is, well, what justifies the basic beliefs? And it could be experience, it could be a reliable belief forming process. Um, and I'm actually kind of open on how we describe the justification of those basic beliefs, because my view is that there are actually different notions of justification. There are different, let's say, epistemic goods. And I think actually a lot of the disagreement among philosophers and epistemologists comes from, at least initially, different people kind of seeing different epistemic goods. And then there's a bit of talking past each other. But there's this article, I believe it's by Alston, about 
different types of justification. And uh, that resonates with me, the idea that the basic beliefs can be justified in different ways according to different standards. But you are right that, on my view, there are basic beliefs. Uh, okay. So, so it's, it's not inference all the way down. Let me just ask you a few things yeah. just about what you just said. Um, yeah. So, um, okay, so first of all, if – the, the reason for the basic beliefs for the classical foundationalist is that is to is to um a stop an infinite regress right so yeah. the problem is that or if a warren, circle yeah if or if warren is inferential then you know you're always one one sort of justification behind until you reach something that um doesn't need to be justified um either because it's necessarily true or because it's indubitable or whatever um um now you say, okay, we don't need the basic beliefs to have that kind of status. Um, um, and um, am I reading the justification stoppers? There, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the justification stopper is not a belief. It would be, let's say, an experience or a belief forming process. Right, that but then be, warrant is no longer inferential. So, so, so the warrant, the warrant there, that yeah. the basic beliefs have. Um, is not inferential, is not derived by inference, but by some other means. So, so what? That's right. By what means? What does it mean then to say to say that basic belief is justified? Yeah. So it's not derived from another belief. Uh, but like, so an example would be. Um, let me just. Okay, I'm having a thought right now. Okay, and you ask me, well, how do I know that? And then I think I want to say something like, well, uh, I'm going to take Richard Fumerton's idea of direct acquaintance. I think I'm going to say, well, I'm directly acquainted with that thought. And I'm thinking that that state of direct acquaintance is a kind of foundation for a certain kind of justification for the belief that I was having thoughts. So I believe that I was having thoughts based on acquaintance with those thoughts. And then that acquaintance is a justificatory state. uh, state. It provides justification to the belief. Does that make sense? Uh, you know, that's great. That's great. Yeah. But actually, and so, and so it, it now raises further questions. So yeah. that actually, of course, um, that actually to me sounds almost exactly like what Descartes says, right? Um, and so, you know, D- Descartes um, um, says that, you know, I can't be certain that there's a table, but I can be certain that there seems to be one, right? Um, uh-huh. um, because I'm directly acquainted with my seemings, right? Um, um, but, but Descartes thought, that um, because the way things seem can often be with, at odds with the way they actually are, that he needed some uh, g- guarantor of the general reliability of his seemings, which is then what sends him off on the quest to prove that God exists and therefore God is perfect, and he wouldn't make you so defective that you would your seemings would always be wrong. And right. and we all know what's wrong with why that none of that works, right? So I don't think we need that. No. So, so yeah. okay. So why don't we need it? <laughs> um, how and how then do you address the problem that? The, the one seemings with which one is directly acquainted are often uh, wrong. Yeah. So, Dan, are, are you familiar with Chisholm's problem of the criterion? Sure, of course. But you, but the audience really, may, well, may, okay, may yeah, not be, so, so you should say what it is. Sure, yeah. So this is and – I, and I imagine you, Dan, would be this because you were telling me that um, Wittgenstein's work on certainty, that article, is something that has influenced you. And there's a lot of overlap so, yeah. there. But the idea is that – there's this problem of how you can sort of justify any kind of belief. And one question 
that you might have is like, well, what method can you appeal to as a reliable method for producing a belief? But if you come up with methods, then you're back to the question, well, what justifies your belief that that's a reliable method? And so you, you either go to an infinite regress or a vicious circle. And what Chisholm proposes is this view called particularism, which is that you just have some starting points. Uh, Wittgenstein used this metaphor. I was just reading it because you mentioned it, just reading it before our time together, of a riverbed where thoughts are flowing through the riverbed. And the riverbed, the bed itself is kind of providing a sort of structure for the thoughts that you can't even get thinking unless you have some kind of structure. And I'm sort of thinking of that as sort of in the same boat as a kind of particularist answer, which is that there are some starting points that you have. Um, another way of thinking about it is sort of scientifically, you start with sort of observations of things you take yourself to know, and then you come up with a hypothesis that explains, like a theory of knowledge that explains why it is that you have those items of knowledge. You take clear things, like I've got hands, there's a table, I have thoughts. And so you start with those as your sort of inputs, and then you justify uh, the theory of knowledge based on those inputs. So that's part of what I would say there. And I do want to clarify that in giving the example of thoughts, which I think I am certain of, I don't mean to suggest that there isn't justification that's less certain. Like, for example, I think that there are tables and my justification of tables is not the Cartesian route of first being justified that God exists and then that my belief forming mechanism is reliable. Rather, my, my toy theory, my working hypothesis is that um, my belief that there are tables is actually a basic belief. So it's not based on other beliefs, um, but it's, it's justified based on a, a set of experiences. And I think that part of my experience is my experience of ability of having table experiences from something that isn't a table. So it could be that I'm hallucinating, but it, you know, I could be in the, in the matrix, but that it's just not probable. So this is an example of a basic belief that is not certain. It's not, you know, it doesn't have that Cartesian certainty. I think it would still be justified based on my experiences. All right. What so there's think? a few things there um, um, that I want to ask. And, 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 and one of them is the, well, the one, something I already asked. And so I'll, let me sort of pursue that one. Um, so the way that Descartes uses the appeal to um, the subjective content of experience, let's call it mm -hmm. that. Right that we can't be wrong about because you're just having it, right? Um, um, he does, however, use that embedded in a belief upon which to then infer the validity of the judgment about the thing, like the table or whatever it is, right? So I'm, 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 it's the belief that I'm seeming to have a tabley experience that justifies the, by inference, the belief that there's a table given the background belief that God is perfect and didn't make me defective. And I have no reason to think mm -hmm. that my seemings are usually wrong. Now I understand that you want to say, no, 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 no. The experience is not embedded in a belief that's then used to inferentially justify the belief that there's a table. It's the experience justifies it itself, right? That's it, yeah. But, but the question that I asked you then is, okay, but then if the warrant is not inferential in character, what is the character of that warrant? So this is reminding me of... Because inference, inferences, inferences, an inference is a truth-reliable relation, right? 
Yeah. But I need, would need to hear what the relation is between direct experience and a proposition that renders it a truth reliable relation. So you're, you're asking me a very tough question, of course. Uh, so well, there's Salah, no point in asking so, you easy ones, right? <laughs> well, of course. So, so yeah, uh, you, you probably heard of the Salarzian dilemma, and it's basically exactly on this question, right? So you've got some experience, let's say the experience of my hand, and then there's this belief that I have a hand. So you're asking, like, well, what's the relationship between the experience and the belief such that the experience actually justifies the belief? Now, it's been a while since I've looked at the Salarzian dilemma. But if my, my memory is coming to me now and, and I'm thinking it, it was that either the, there's a kind of propositional structure in the experience itself um, or there isn't. If there is a propositional structure in the experience itself, then the experience is, in a sense, sort of at functioning like a, a propositional belief. And so there's a further question then what justifies that propositional structure? And so then if we appeal to something that's non-propositional, then we reset the question. How can something non-propositional justify the propositional? If you say the propositional is just basic, well, then you don't have a justification. And, you know, and maybe that's what we can end up saying. If you take the other route and you say that um, there's not a propositional structure in the experience, then your question is really a sharp question, like a, a painful, quite painfully sharp question, because it's hard to see how you could have a non-propositional thing justify a propositional thing. Yeah. And I'm, to be honest, I'm not quite sure what to say about that. I mean, at some point, we sort of reach the bedrock. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It's just a basic yeah, and, and this is not this is not like a game where now, now you've lost points because you didn't answer the question. Um, um, it's more just that you know Knock my piece is off the board here. I, I have some very deep views about about warrant. Um, um, that 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 I'm sort of sort of trying to sort of test against the various things you're saying. Um. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you about about the um, the 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 basic beliefs as you understand them, uh, the reason here's the reason why I I question whether or not um, the Wittgensteinian way of looking at this is available to you, right? Um, 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 and this this is because so. Wittgenstein has a bunch of things in uncertainty, and um, it's interesting that you mentioned the hands because. Uncertainty is is Wittgenstein's um, sort of extended riff on G.E. Moore's proof of an external world, um, um, in which G.E. Moore famously purports to prove that the external world exists by raising his hands. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a riff on the very intimately related paper by Moore uh, on common sense. Um, and um, um, so Wittgenstein employs a lot of metaphors. He says, in order for the door to swing shut and open, the hinges have to stay put. Um, he gives you, like the, you said, the metaphor of the river. Um, but what's important to understand is that these metaphors, it seems to me, are not um, meant to indicate that the basic beliefs possess any kind of super warrant, right? Basically, what he says is that, look, um, you, you need you, you need to hold a bunch of things before you can pursue any inquiry at all, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, relative to that inquiry, those things have to stand fast, right? But in some other inquiry, those those things might become objects of legitimate, uh, legis- legitimate investigation. So let mm-hmm. me give you an example that I often like to use, right? So um, um, 
so I'll, 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 I'll use the following examples to sort of, sort of explain this sometimes to students. Um, you know, uh, if I'm engaged in inquiries um, regarding uh, uh, the solar system, right, uh, and, and the various planets and moons and things and asteroids and things in it, um, you know, that there are moons <laughs> – has to stand fast, right? I mean, I mean, you know, to sort of, to sort of, you know, within that inquiry, the question, you know, to, to, to challenge or to doubt whether Saturn has nine moons or eight or 10 is a perfectly re- reasonable question, but to doubt that there are moons mm-hmm. is inapt given the inquiry, right? You know, that has to stand fast in order for the inquiry to be possible. But that doesn't mean that the belief that there are moons is in any way basic epistemically in the way that's meant in foundationalist epistemology, because in another inquiry, the question that there are moons could be a perfectly legitimate target uh, of epistemic uh, questioning. And so I guess I maybe would want a little more from you about what you take the status of these basic beliefs to be, given that they are not incorrigible, indubitable, or necessarily true. Um, what is their status? Well, there might actually just be a translation issue here. There, there might be a way actually of bringing our views right together because, so remember I was saying that I think there are different kinds of justification and mm-hmm. that these pick out different epistemic goods. And so it might be that there's certain contexts of conversation or inquiry that orient us to one kind of epistemic good, maybe in a sort of, we're outside together as friends and we're looking up at the sky and you say, Hey, there's a moon. And that provides a context. And we can talk about what that context is, but that context sort of fixes a certain relevant notion justification so that, or rationality even. Um, so like if, if somebody says, Oh, you're not rational in believing that there are, are moons. Uh, well, that's probably not true. You probably are rational believing there are, are moons. But then, I mean, and even if we say this, we still have the same question, like, what is that epistemic good and how does it come from the situation? I mean, I'm actually kind of curious, like, how you would even answer this Salarzian dilemma, um, even with respect to your notion of epistemic good, whatever it is. Because I'm assuming that you do think that beliefs have epistemic goods relative to contexts. So fix the context, fix the good in view. And then I'm curious to hear how it is that beliefs could have that particular epistemic good relative to that context. Um, I would be, I, well, yeah. One thing I would need and, and would like to hear is a little bit more about what you mean by epistemic goods. I mean, traditionally in epistemology, right, the idea of warrant is, is, is simply the idea of, 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 of a reason um, – that's likely to produce a true belief, right? So truth is the, truth is the, is the good, right? That warrant, um, that, that warrant, I don't know, seeks or pursues, um, 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 if you want to put it that way. Um, so what would some other goods be with respect to inquiry other than truth that could then serve as an alternative, uh, aim of warrant, so let's say that there's a broken clock and I look at the clock and it just by chance happens to be pointed to the correct time. And so I form the belief that it's 3.30. It's a true belief, um, but it's based on sort of an unreliable mechanism. It was broken. And 
So some people have used the term warrant to describe the property that sort of converts a true belief to knowledge, sort of the missing ingredient gets you past the, the Gettier problem somehow of showing how your belief isn't just like true in a lucky way. It's like true in a way that's, you have the belief, you have the truth, but there's something else, this other thing um, that makes your belief sort of more reliable or warranted or some, something good about it. Uh, I mean, another way of putting this is if, if somebody else looked at a working clock and they saw it was 4.30 and it was 4.30, they're in a sort of epistemic situation that's superior to the epistemic situation that I'm in when I get a true belief just sort of by accident. So I'm thinking that there is something there um, and the example sort of illustrates that. Does that seem right to you? Well, it does, but I mean, that that's the, the, the good is still truth, right? I, I was under the, the impression goods. that you were saying that there were goods other than truth at which different notions of warrant might point or which different notions of warrant might support. It might be that truth, there might be a way of analyzing it ultimately in terms of truth. But I mean, my thought is, is that in the two clock cases, one clock is working, the other the clock isn't working. Um, in both cases, the person forms a belief that's true about what time it is. And so they both have truth, but that there's something like improved about forming a true belief sort of in the right way or in a reliable way. I mean, you might analyze that in terms of sort of, if it's reliable, then you're going to have longer term success of getting more true beliefs in the long term. And that's where you can get an account of justification in terms of reliability. Right. Uh, that's right. one of the accounts, but that's not the only account, right? So there's also the kind of justification is like kind of fulfilling your epistemic duties, like being intellectually careful and honest and curious. And that's also going to be helping you to get to truth. So it's also reliable, but it's also sort of like good in its own right. It's like, it's good to be honest, good to be sort of intellectually virtuous, even if you get some things wrong. Uh, you know, now that this is interesting. Um, um, because this sort of brings us to another area of epistemology. It seems to be that is, the question of whether we should think about justifications as internally or externally. Right. Um, um, and you mentioning of the Gettier cases obviously raises this. Um, um, and you know, the Gettier cases just for the, for the, 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 the five minute version of it. And, and please, uh, when I'm done, add or subtract anything you think needs to be added or subtracted. Um, the Gettier cases are, are just a number of, 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 cases that rise out of thought experiments done by a philosopher named Edmund Gettier in the 1960s. And their purpose was to provide or to offer counterexamples to what was then the prevailing picture of knowledge, which is that knowledge is true justified belief, right? That, that when you know something, you believe it, you have a good reason for believe it. That's the justification and the belief is true. And Gettier's counterexample, Gettier came up with cases which were supposed to provide counterexamples to this, um, and they were all cases which involved some kind of uh, shenanigans with the relevant justification, right? Um, and um, a version of this that I like to give that I actually think I got from Jonathan Dancy um, um, is, you know, suppose that, um, uh, you know, you and I, this is an indication of my age also, you and I are discussing uh, the Wimbledon final and um, uh, which was between John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg. And um, I, I, you know, I, I tell you that, you know, John McEnroe won, won Wimbledon. 
Um, and, um, you say, well, what's your reason for thinking that? And I say, well, you know, I just watched it on television. I just watched the match on television and, uh, McEnroe won. Um, and so I, you know, I, I have a belief, I have a good reason for believing it. And it, let's say it's true. Let's say McEnroe won, but let's say that what, that in actuality, there, there was a problem with the Wimbledon live feed. And what actually I was watching was last year's match in which McEnroe also played board and McEnroe won. I'm changing history a little bit. Um, and, um, and so what Gettier, what the Gettier cases want to say is that, you know, does the person really know that McEnroe won given that? Um, um, because it was, it's very odd to say that he knows that McEnroe won when he watched last year's match and not this one, right? Um, and so it sort of plays on the fact that something can be a good reason um, and still uh, – and, 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 and in other words, you can get to the truth by accident. <laughs> Something can be a good reason, even though from an internal viewpoint of view, even though from an external view, it's a bad reason, right? Um, justifications can't be – it can't be required that justifications have to be perfect or else no one will ever be justified, right? Um, so so this, this, this sort of what you're raising now gets to all of this. Um, and one of the solutions that people have offered to get your cases, right, has been to just abandon the, the, the justificatory model, that, that picture, and to say, look, what's, what's wrong is that in this case, your belief is not actually caused by the truth maker, right? The truth maker is this year's match, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you watched last year's match. So you have a belief that, that's caused by something other than the truth maker, and and so and 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 you're 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 arriving at the truth as accidental. So 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 describing you as knowing is a mistake. And so what these causal theories of knowledge typically say is that someone knows something if one believes it, it's true, and one's belief is actually caused by the truth maker, right? Um, I'm now now one of the reasons for wanting the internal version of this is because we want to all be able to use the word knowledge as a kind of honorific, right. To describe sort of a certain virtue of the person. Right. And I guess maybe I'm wondering why, um, um, in other words, if we, if we abandon the idea that, that, that ascribing knowledge is in some ways a kind of praise of the person, then why shouldn't we just be satisfied with a kind of an externalist account and it saves us all kinds of trouble. And, um, and uh, so what, 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 just around that constellation of issues, what do you, what do you think about all that? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very open to having sort of different accounts of knowledge. And I think that there are even contexts in which we sort of um, think of knowledge in one way and then other contexts where we might think of it in another way. So we have different standards for that. Uh, when I was uh, planning a student, I wrote him a paper. He's a classic, you know, he's an externalist with respect to knowledge. Um, I was toying with an internalist theory of knowledge. And so I wrote my term paper. Uh, it was, it was, I think it was something like externalism for internalists or something like this. And I found a hybrid where you could have an externalist account of knowledge through causation or proper function or however you analyze it. That still includes that sort of, internalist condition of awareness or acquaintance. And it's not it attributes virtue to the person. It's that there's something about knowledge that seems to be deeply connected with awareness. In fact, you might even think that 
there's a, uh, there's a notion of knowledge that just is awareness and it's basic. It's not even analyzable in terms of, of causes. Um, so like if I know that two plus two equals four, that knowledge is kind of a basic epistemic relation between me and this uh, abstract fact or whatever, however you want to describe that, uh, rather than that it's analyzed in terms of some kind of causal relationship with the abstract. I mean, some people have even questioned whether the abstract could be an appropriate causal relationship just yeah. by its very nature. Yeah. Um, so yeah, these the are causal, things that causal, yeah. causal theories run into a number of problems along lines like that. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering whether, you know, one can be an externalist and not quite be so precise. In other words, could you just be an externalist that says, look, what knowledge is, is um, having a certain, having a belief, the belief being true and being in some one's belief in some way being properly related to the truth maker. Right. Um, uh-huh. um, um, because it seems to me just that, that, the requirement of conscious awareness of a reason, the only purpose I could see that requirement serving is if you want to have not the, the, the ascription of knowledge be an ascription of a kind of virtue to the knower. Otherwise I don't see the reason for requiring the, the requiring consciousness of, of the reason as being necessary to the account. I like this way of putting it in terms of properly related to the truth maker as a kind of third ingredient. So you mentioned the belief, the truth, and then a proper relation. And then when you describe it that way, it's kind of an umbrella term. It's kind of a determinable that could then be filled in by various determinates. Right. And this might fit with what you were suggesting earlier about the sort of contextualism or the context, because it might be that in different contexts, you'll want different determinants. Um, I mean, I'm I'm happy with. That. I mean, that's, actually, we that's, didn't we didn't discuss that on camera. That was before oh, we, was we before got on. The, so so I had said to, I had said to Joshua that I don't think I have a single account of justification that I would that to me warrant is kind of inquiry dependent. Um, and will and what constitutes good reasons will vary. Um, and maybe if we chuck reasons and change for proper relations to the truth maker then I'm going to want to say that that also will vary depending on the inquiry, right? What, what a proper relation to the truth maker in mathematics is going to be, mm-hmm. is going to be different than what is the proper relationship to the truth maker with respect to, you know, I believe there's a, a cup in my hand, right? Um, um, so, so what, what do you think of that? Yeah, no, I mean, this is, this is my view. I mean, that, that, that you have a belief, a truth, and there's something else. It's not just, the truth that's the thing that has epistemic value there's something else i like how you put it a, a sort of proper relation to a truth maker it's connected to truth and i think that's your insight is that this epistemic value is not just completely devoid of it's not it's it's, it's not disconnected from truth because if our goal is to get truth you know knowledge is truth apt but i do think you need this sort of third um term i also think this still brings us right back to the sharp question, the painfully sharp question you're asking me about how beliefs get that proper relation to a truth maker. Um, I'm actually kind of curious, you know, what you might say about that. Like, let's take a belief that you have hands. How does your belief that you have hands get a proper relation 
to a truth maker? Would you say maybe it's a causal thing or? Yeah. So in the case of them, like hands and both, that's going to be percept, you know, and sort of perceptual beliefs, it's going to be, you know, pretty straightforward causal relation, obviously with respect to a mathematical truth, that's not how it's going to be. Um, it's not going to be a, 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 it's not going to be a causal relationship or, or it's not going to be a perceptual one. Um, you know, we, that, that's, that, that takes us in a whole different territory about what mm-hmm. mathematical truth truths are and what they're about and all that, which I don't know that I think we should go into. Sure. Um, but I guess what I do, what I am wondering though, you know, um, aside, you know, I'm always happy when people agree with me, but, um, maybe you can tell me then what's wrong with me because I'm pretty sure I'm not a foundationalist. Now you well, said that's what you I was were. about to ask you. You said I, you were. Now, could you explain? I'm wondering what, why you're not. I'm wondering if what's you foundationalist are. about my view. Um, well, so don't, so, okay. So you have, let's take the belief that you have hands. Is that belief for you based on other beliefs? I would say that the belief that I have hands oftentimes is one of those beliefs that stand fast relative to a whole bunch of other inquiries, discourses I might be engaged in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it may function, that I have hands may function as a certainty in certain discourses, right? In okay. other discourses, it would not function as a certainty. It would wind up being an appropriate object of inquiry, right? And then I might give some account of 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 uh, the causal relation between, um, you know, my, the, my mental processes and and things in the world, um, but I guess I I was always under the impression that that at least a fa- in foundationalism there has to be a set of foundations um, that applies cross inquiry, right? I mean, cross I mean, inquiry. if every inquiry is going to have its own things that stand fast, and these don't have any special epistemic status aside from those inquiries, right, um, and indeed may have no epistemic status at all relative to some inquiry, may be perfectly legitimate objects yeah. of skeptical uh, doubt, right? Um, I don't see what's foundationalist about that. It's a very weird kind of foundationalism, right? Yeah. So my goal is not to try oh, to Oh, I don't care if you. I get wind up being labeled as foundation. I'm just genuinely yeah. curious. No, I, I, I almost just kind of want to say that I think my personality here is to – uh, is to sort of seek a synth- possible synthesis as a, as a way of exploring. So that's kind of what I'm doing here. And what I'm thinking, I'm just thinking with you sort of at the edge of, of my thoughts on this is that maybe what you could have is a kind of contextualized foundationalism. So given context C, you have a noetic structure with inferred beliefs and basic beliefs relative to context C. And what you're seeing is that you can change the context so that what was a basic belief relative to C is not a basic belief relative to C star. And, and so maybe this is a way of, of characterizing your view as a kind of contextualized foundationalism. I, I want I, you to be a foundationalist, Dan. I, I get stuck. I get stuck. Look, if I wound up, if it turned out at the end of my life that I had been a foundationalist, I would live with, I would live with it. Live with um, it. Um, <laughs> these are not things that I, that, that, that keep me up at night. Um, 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 but it, but it does it does interest me very much, and um, I guess I just have difficulty getting around the idea that foundations, in the sense of basic beliefs, have special epistemic status, right? Um, whereas um, 
things that have to stand fast don't really have any special status. They're just things, the questioning of which is inapt relative to a certain inquiry, right? So if I'm engaged, if I'm in an astronomy class, right, and and our discussion is about the number of moons that the various planets have, um, to question that there are moons is inapt relative to that inquiry. But that's Mm -hmm. not because the claim that there are moons has some special status, right? Um, Mm -hmm. um, Epistemically speaking. And so I guess I am resisting the idea of assimilating the things that must stand fast relative to an inquiry Mm -hmm. with the concept of basic beliefs or foundations. Ah, no, that's interesting. I guess so maybe that's we what can I'm make resisting. It dis- yeah, so let's think about this. So maybe we can distinguish then things that stand fast relative to that inquiry, and we could investigate more the meaning of that, versus things that are properly related to their truth makers. All right? So Go on. I'm, well, I'm, well, I'm closing my eyes because I have to think. Cause you're, yeah. So, so visualize it. So, so we have the property being properly related to a truth maker. Um, let's call this positive epistemic status uh, A. I don't know, for lack of a better label. And then let's call the things that are inapt for um, questioning relative to an inquiry. These are things that stand fast in your terms. Um, Let's call this positive epistemic status B. Um, I mean, call it whatever you want, right? And so now we have two positive epistemic statuses, A and B, and maybe what I want to propose to you is that um, there is a kind of foundationalism with respect to at least epistemic status A. That's the being properly related to the truth maker. So that in the noetic structure of beliefs that you have in your own mind, um, there's going to be some that are inferred and some that are basic, but they still have a proper epistemic status Maybe it's a causal relation to the truth maker. And that's it. I mean, it, it, they're, they're not based on other beliefs. Um, they do have that positive epistemic status. And it's a further question whether they're sort of apt for questioning. So we can sort of make that distinction, divide that. Are we making progress? I, well, I don't know. Um, 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 um. <laughs> My goal is not to convince you. When I say, are we making progress? I'm just like, no, 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 are we making progress in our joint understanding? No, 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 I don't take it that way. Um, 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 Let me say this. Let me say one more thing and see if it changes what you would have said to me. And then if not, I'm going to try to answer what you just asked me. So um, it seems to me that um, really – there isn't as much difference between Hume and Kant on epistemology as people tend to think. Okay. Um, both Hume and Kant thinks that certain things are necessary uh, in order for experience as we have it to be possible. It's just that Kant believes that that forms a kind of transcendental argument that then ultimately does provide warrant and Hume does not, right? Um, in other words, 
you could take the conditions that Hume lays out, all the stuff about the passions and the sentiments and, you know, um, habit and, you know, uh, we can't help but connect two things together when they're contiguous or when one happens after the other, right? You could say, oh, that forms, that, that provides a transcendental argument that then justifies the claims about the external world. And Hume's going to say, no, 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 you misunderstand me. What I'm describing is that what I'm telling you is that reason comes to an end at this point, right? Mm -hmm. And that ultimately um, warrant is, is only ever local, right? It's not, it's not all the way down, right? Um, That warrant ultimately is sitting on top of warrantlessness, right? So to speak, right? Um, In that sense, I would say that something that you could say that warrant is a kind of game, in, in, this, in, the, in the sense that Wittgenstein means, right? And I actually think there's a ton of affinity between Hume and Wittgenstein, despite the fact that Wittgenstein ref- said that reading Hume was a torture um, um, and probably would reject any affiliation. But I actually think that there are very strong affiliations. And so I guess what I may be, another way of saying what I'm saying to you and see if this changes your reaction is yeah. that I think I feel like you keep trying to trying to turn what I'm saying into sort of various kinds of transcendental arguments <laughs> that then wind up providing warrant all the way down. Whereas what I've been trying to say is that I don't think warrant goes all the way down. I think warrant is ultimately local. It's a it's a kind of game that we play, and that um, ultimately it sits on 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 ground that is not warranted or warrantless it's just nothing right i mean um 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 is i guess what i'm kind of trying to say I, I guess i feel like you're trying to turn what must stand fast into kind of foundations via transcendental argument and i would resist that mm-hmm. yeah well i was trying to separate perhaps two epistemic goods the sort of stand fastness good um the steadfastness well, is simply required in order for an inquiry to, to be able yeah. for you to engage it. We can't talk about the number of moons the planets have yeah. if that there are moons doesn't stand fast, right? Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that the standing fast provides a kind of warrant, right? It just makes it possible sure. in the non-epistemic sense, right, yeah. for the inquiry to go forward. But I feel like what you want to say is that it makes it possible in an epistemic sense, that it does provide. Now, I'm not saying there's anything unkosher about this. Sure, sure. I'm yeah. just saying I resist that that way of taking it. And is there a reason why that you think I I can't or shouldn't resist taking it that way, I guess. Well, I, I think I do want to separate warrant from the sort of um, things that hold fast for inquiry. Okay. I'm actually kind ahead. of curious. So, so, so help me understand when you're talking about warrant and you're saying that it's not warrant all the way down. There's some sort of place where something's warranted. Would you say there are things that are warranted just to make sure I'm, I'm clear on that? Are some beliefs warranted? Within, within, within frames of inquiry, yes. Yeah, okay. And then you have a belief that's warranted, and then you'll arrive at a belief, let's say, that's not inferred from another belief. It's warrant doesn't derive from another belief. And so you were, I thought you were saying something like, you've got a warranted belief that it's sort of based on something that's not 
warrant or not warrant. Help me understand because it se- it seems like there's there's something in your noetic structure, in the structure of your own beliefs, that is going to be warranted, and that its warrant doesn't derive from some other belief that's warranted, even if that's relative to a context. Am I, fo- am I following you? I just want to see if I'm understanding kind of what you're thinking. So um, let's take the sort of the boring kinds of beliefs that, that, that Descartes talks about, right? Yeah. Um, that lead him down, right? Um, 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 down the ladder of, of, of warrant, let's say. Um, right. So, you know, uh, I believe, you know, if you ask me um, if I believe that I'm currently drinking a, a soda, my answer would be yes. And if you said, well, do you have a good reason for that? And I'd say, yes, I do. And I tell you the reason, you know, I, uh-huh. can, I can taste it. I can drink. He said, yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, you could be hallucinating that, you know. Um, and I might say to you, well, you know, I don't really think so. I didn't, right. you know, I didn't take any acid today. You know, I'm saving it for the weekend. Um, and um, <laughs> and um, I have, don't have any acid. Um, and um, um, you might say, yes, but then how do you know that? And um, we wouldn't talk very long before I would say to you reasons that reasons come to an end. Yeah. Right. But they don't come to an end at anything. That's like a super reason. Right. Sure. They just come to an end. I, yeah. I would eventually say, I can't answer your questions anymore, Yeah, but I don't, that's foundational. I don't see, but no, 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 no. But the, <laughs> the foundation, I can't answer your questions anymore for a foundationalist means that I've gotten down to a bedrock uh-huh. that, requires no no justification and yet grants it to the things above it, right? I don't think that, right? I'm standing on a platform that's not suspended by anything, right? Um, 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 what does it require? Just a, does your platform require justification? I don't see why. These okay. are just, I'm just, I'm engaged in an endeavor. Well, that's, what right? I I think that's what the foundationalist is saying, that there's a platform that doesn't require further justification and yet it provides justification. But what is it that I'm saying doesn't require justification, but provides justification for the I don't rest? Know. Nothing. I, I don't know what, what you're... Nothing. In other words, I the reasons run out. Uh-huh. But they well, don't... That's what I'm, that, no, because now I really am curious. Like, I'm not sure where we're disagreeing here, because I like your platform metaphor. I mean, I think there's sort of this platform, and it, it, it's where reasons run out. It's That's it. You don't need to get yeah, but 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 a, found, a foundationalist, at least as traditionally construed, doesn't think that reasons simply run out. Reasons end in a foundation that provides the warrant for everything built on top of it. Now, I don't think that there's any such thing, right? I simply, you ask me whether I believe something, I say yes. You say whether I have a reason, I give you the reason. You say, well, what's your reason for the reason? I give you another reason. And eventually I say, that's all I got, man, right? Um, I don't say, well, this is all I've got. And it's this super reason that's all the way at the bottom that supports all the other reasons, right? Uh, I just simply say that the the reasons run out, meaning I just don't have any more reasons. Now, if you say, well, you know, that means that all the reasons you gave me don't work. I don't see why that, why that would be unless I already assumed something, right? I think I might Um, see what's going on. In other words, I don't see any problem with reasons being entirely local. Yeah. And just running out. Right. I mean, um, I think I might be with you on this. I, 
so th I think there's a number of things going on at once, but um, it seems like one thing that might be going on is that there is this kind of classic foundationalist picture where you have that inverted pyramid. We have like some small set of super reasons that sort of justify everything else. And that's not the picture that I endorse. Right, you said so, you're not a traditional foundationalist. Not, not a classical I'm foundationalist. I'm not saddling so, with you at that, but I guess I'm not yet sure. understanding what makes the alternative a foundationalism, right? <laughs> because there's still a platform. So the picture, so I'll just say a few things that are kind of part of my working hypothesis. Sure, go ahead. And maybe then you can sort of see more of my view here. So the picture that I have is that um, in local contexts, I'll have certain kinds of experiences through my senses, whether through vision, hearing. I think there's a kind of introspective sense by which I sort of sense my own thoughts and feelings. I think there's a kind of sense of reason, a sense of right and wrong. And all of these different senses are, are sort of these, these mechanisms. Maybe there are these sort of causal connections between the truth maker and truths, or in some case, falsehoods, if they mislead me. And what these mechanisms do is, is in particular contexts, like if we're talking or looking at the moon, they produce within me uh, beliefs on occasion. And that these beliefs, I have lots and lots and lots of beliefs that would be produced by these belief forming processes or these senses or these mechanisms. And that this, this uh, lays kind of a, a large platform where then the pyramid of inferences kind of goes up like this so that, so that um, it, there's actually more beliefs that are sort of picked up in local contexts. Um, and there's just basic reasons run out quickly through local contexts and experiences. And then I can then reflect on my sort of basic beliefs, like that I'm talking with you or that there's a moon or whatever, and then, and then begin to infer some things from there and build more beliefs. Um, so that's something that I'm thinking. I don't know if that's helpful. Well, I, I wouldn't look if what you're suggesting to me is that look um, within certain practices or within certain endeavors, there are pyramidal structures, right? Um, epistemically pyramidical structures. Um, I think that that's, that that's most certainly going to be the case, right? Um, 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 uh, certainly in mathematics, I could see that being the yeah, case, I was right? Just thinking that. Yeah. Um, um, but what doesn't make, what makes that to my mind not a foundationalism is that, um, those structures are entirely contingent upon this the, the sort of the sort of the what what are the things that what are the things that you that you take to stand fast relative to the inquiry and uh -huh. what the inquiry is right and so you know famously you know um um you know if if you if you just replace a few of those things the whole pyramidal structure changes right yeah um um and and if you were to ask well but which one is really right um, um, that's when I say, okay, that's a bad question, right? There is no really, right? There's just, here's this endeavor and these are the things that stand fast relative to it. And, and, and if you engage in it, you will get a kind of pyramidal like structure, but then here's this other one, right? <laughs> um, 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 you know, let's say a Euclidean geometry and a non-Euclidean geometry, right? Yeah. Um, um, now if you ask me, well, well, which one is really warranted? The answer is not, you know, 
none of them um, or both of them, or it's, but more that it's a bad question, right? Um, um, because there may be different standards of warrant. Not just context. that, but that the question of what, of what the warrant is can only be asked, and this is to sort of employ a carnapism, can only be employed internally. Right. And you're, you're trying to apply, you're trying to apply, not you, but one is trying to apply a notion that operates within the frame to the frame. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that, I don't think entire, this is, and this is sort of brings us back outside to things I was wondering about watching videos of yours. Right. I don't think whole things can be warranted. I think warranted, warrant is something that operates within things. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And so, so, if you ask me, well, what's the warrant for entire practices? I, I, I don't think that's a question that's answerable because I think it's a bad question mm-hmm. um, or within endeavor or what endeavors mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever inquiries, whatever you want to call them. They're just, those, those notions only operate locally, so to speak. Yeah. Um, they, they, they don't, they don't operate internationally. Um, I guess is what I want to say. Now, is, yeah. I don't know if you agree with that or whether, yeah. Well, I don't know. It's interesting. Maybe what I'll do is I'll just say a few more things that I think are true. Part of my working hypothesis, just kind of get those out there. Um, so I have this sort of picture of, the, of a pyramid. I'm happy to say that there are different standards of justification, different epistemic goods, and that the pyramid for an individual will look differently relative to different standards and perhaps even different contexts. Something else that's kind of core to my thinking is that I tend to be um, I shouldn't say 10, I should be a little more assertive about this. I am individualistic in my epistemology. So I think that knowledge is ultimately grounded in individual persons. Sometimes we talk in sort of this third person language, like it is known that, or is it, it is established that, um, or these are the facts. But I think ultimately those, those things, those statements are translatable into what individuals know. And so, and I would say that each individual is sort of responsible to see things by their own light, by their own instruments. And this is then related to virtues. Um, I sent you an email kind of dividing my epistemology into sort of two parts, the practical and theoretical. So on the theoretical side, which is what we've been talking a lot about, there's questions about is justification internal or external I think it depends on what you mean by justification. I think there are some epistemic goods that are internal, some that are external, questions about the foundationalism, other structures of, of, of knowledge. But then there's, this all, this, there's also this very practical side, which is it has to do with those intellectual virtues, this sort of way of thinking. And I would be individualistic in the sense that I think each person can take responsibility. They have the power to take responsibility for being humble, being willing to be wrong, um, being curious. And that actually this, this sort of attitude or the, these sets of attitudes may actually make more of a difference towards helping somebody to gain true beliefs than even figuring out the right theoretical framework. Um, so I'm just throwing out things that I think. No, I I, I don't hear anything yeah. that I would object to. Um, 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 but I guess I do. I do wonder, sort of, you know. So, so you 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 are interested, and this came up last time um, in very large questions. Yeah, right? questions that 
apply to the totality of things, right? Um, um, so, you know, you think that, um, that there is something rather than nothing deserves explanation or requires explanation, right? Um, um, you think that, that there are contingencies requires explanation, right? Um, and this strikes me as at least suggesting, I'm not going to say implying because you know, mm. there's a gazillion things I could be missing, but at least suggesting that you do think that there is a kind of a, an all, a knowledge that encompasses everything, right? I mean, that, 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 that it, it strikes me that at least some of the things you seem to be interested would seem to be at odds with my very humble picture of knowledge is like knowledge is really consisting as just a bunch of little villages. Right. Um, um, or so to speak. Right. Um, um, am I misunderstanding? Well, do you think it's possible to know things about everything? Because you're absolutely right. Wait a minute. Say, I mean, you're going to have so, to ask. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, okay, don't know. So, so, I can't answer that. So you have to, yeah. to ask me more. Say yeah, more yeah. Than that. So, so you're, you're right that I am curious about kind of like the big questions that are about totalities or like everything. And there is already maybe this worry about whether one could ever have knowledge about things sort of far removed from local everyday experience. And um, so then I'm, I'm kind of asking you if, if you, if that's kind of part of your worry here that maybe it's not possible to gain knowledge, um, by any standard. Yeah. You know, I, I, I hesitate to, to, to express it that way only because that would suggest that, well, you know, if we live to be 500 years old and maybe, you know, a thousand years in the future, that maybe it would be attainable, but it's just not possible given various limitations. But I think it's not possible in a much stronger sense, right? I, 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 I don't think that everything is a proper target of understanding, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and certainly not a proper target of explanation. And maybe there's interesting questions to ask about the relationship between explanation and understanding, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, but my conception of understanding is as small fry and humble as my conception of explanation. Um, 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 so I guess that the, what I would say is that the things that you, that, that you've expressed interest in explaining, I don't think are apt subjects of explanation, right? I, I, I or apt targets or of knowledge. explanation or whatever you or, are not, are not objects of knowledge. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and which is why I don't say that they can't be answered, yeah. but more that they're, they're not proper questions. Um, but I don't know if, see, I don't want to, if this is irrelevant to the questions that we're talking about epistemologically, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to drag them in because then that's sure. not the, uh, not the topic of conversation, but I thought there was. It is relevant to application, I suppose. You know I thought I mean? there, it suggested that you do think that there is a kind of a, a big picture knowledge that kind of encompasses everything for which we're going to then have to have an epistemology rather than this kind of piecemeal. Okay. Well, there's this little thing we do over here and we try to find these things out with this little thing over here and we, and the standards are going to be different and what stands fast is going to be different and what, you know, 
but if I'm wrong about that, I'm happy to drop it. I mean, that's not, I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not going to bang the drum about explaining everything if that's not relevant. Yeah. Um, I mean, I just, this is why I have no, this is why I have no intrinsic interest in religion. Right. Um, I mean, I come from a Jewish family um, and what that means primarily to me is sort of, uh, is sort of an experience of a certain ethnicity, a certain peoplehood, a certain mm-hmm. uh, types of community and mores and things like that. But, you know, and Judaism is particularly well suited to that because it's very much a non um, theolo- it's the least theological of the Abrahamic religions, right? Um, I have no interest in theology whatsoever, precisely because I have no interest in big questions. And the reason I have no interest in big questions is I don't think that they're good questions. And so this this sort of is, is probably temperamental as much as anything else. Um, but I do wonder whether ha- having interest in such big questions does kind of render the kind of local village humble epistemologies that I'm proposing – not really available to you, or do you think that that's unfair? I think they they are potentially available. I mean, it's an interesting question, the relationship between your epistemology and your ontology. I have a friend, he sent me an email suggesting to me that there are certain epistemologies that if you have those, then you can't arrive at certain ontologies. But it's difficult because I always find people, it's like for every ontology and for every epistemology, I find somebody who has that epistemology and that ontology. And so it, it's, it's really hard to, to find sort of neat lines. I mean, e- even if we say something like intellectual humility will sort of lead us to conclude that, you know, we can't know anything about uh, sort of the big questions. It's like, well, I'm thinking, did we come to know that we can't know anything about the big questions? Maybe that's an un- sort of an unfair mm-hmm response there but no, like no, no, i'm no. wondering how, how do you divide how do you divide yeah. the lines you know and, yeah and i'm thinking well i mean it seems like here's one thing that i think that i know um everything is self-consistent uh, that's like a, a big claim because it's about everything you know things far removed from ordinary experience things way outside the what galaxy. does that mean everything is self-consistent is that simply is that a, simply an expression of a, equals, application a of, equals a yeah well it'd be an application of I guess a basic law of logic. You know, there's nothing such that, uh, you know, there's a contradiction embedded in its nature. You'll go nowhere in the universe to discover a green alien that's completely colorless because that would imply a contradiction. Okay. So yeah. let's, that, that's a nice one. Yeah. Why is that a substantial truth about reality and not simply a local feature of a logical system. Well, it's about everything. I right, mean, but I, I mean, I, there are logical systems that 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 don't include the principle of bivalence, right? I mean, there are logical systems that you know, you know what I mean. You can do, you know what I'm saying. I mean, you can do predicate logic without. Sure. Um, without identity, right? I mean, it's, it's, I, I've taken I've, I've taken classes where you know they leave that part out. Um, yeah. Um, I guess what I'm I guess I would want to ask you, well, what makes you think that that's not simply a feature of sort of language, right? Or or. Well, I, when I think uh, about or a peculiarity whether there could of be, so when I think about whether 
uh, an astronaut will discover embedded in the soil of Jupiter a square. The soil of Jupiter? Did you just say the soil of Jupiter? Soil of Jupiter. Is it, is it Jupiter a gas giant? <laughs> well, shows what I know. Shows what's being, in my mind. I'm just being obnoxious. Go ahead. <laughs> so you, you dive into the gas of Jupiter, deep in, and you discover, let's say, a square that is not a square. I don't think it's just a matter of uh, language. Like, oh, if we change our language, then we could discover a square that's not a square. Like, I think it's actually true that we won't discover that there. Um, now, maybe that truth is ultimately about a system of logic that we've come up with uh, in some sense of about. But it's something that we can actually use to make predictions, successful predictions about what will happen if we go investigate different places. You know, uh... This, I, I promise you, I am not dragging religion into this, but it just, that reminds me of people um, saying that God makes, makes, makes us able to make certain predictions. I'm, I think that this is an abuse of, of what we mean by making predictions, right? I mean, I don't think that to say, to take a logical truth, right? Like A equals A, and then say, "Well, look, it allows us to make predictions." Um, um, uh, and here's the prediction: I'm never going to discover that A does not equal A. That's not what we mean in science when we talk about a, a, a hypothesis or a thesis that makes it possible that that sort of is 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 to some way get credited by the fact that it allows us to make predictions. Um, 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 that's not that's not a a, a kosher prediction, right? I mean, um, um. Is it? I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I was using predictive success to motivate its truth. But I mean, since you already called it a logical truth, then we're we're on board with that. I mean, it's true. I, I, maybe I misunderstood you. I was sort of worried—not worried, but thinking, wondering if what you were suggesting is that these systems aren't actually true. They're sort of just sort of made up bits of language or something. So because ah, of that, no, I was giving—I was, I was giving sort of independent empirical motivation. That's for, interesting. I don't think the systems themselves are true. I think there are true statements within the systems. Right? Okay, fair enough. Yeah, but I don't think that the, the truth of the truth or falsity apply to systems. And remember, I mean, I don't know how much this matters, um, but my notion of truth is discortational, right? So I'm not gonna. I'm not. I mean, I'm not going to want to apply truth to anything other than. Um, uh, statements or sentences or propositions or whatever, however, sure. whatever you want it, whatever yeah. you want to apply them to. But, um, let's just go back a little bit. Um, and I just want to be mindful of the time because I, you're the kind of person I could talk to and realize that we've been talking for five hours. Um, um, I've been up till five in the morning with people like you a lot. Um, well, thank you. Likewise. So let me just go one more. I, if, if it's okay, I think I've got about 10 minutes. Yeah, that's fine. And let me just go one more place with you. And I don't care if we run out the clock and without I'm resolving sure. anything, because the whole thing is just very interesting regardless. Um, I did like something you said earlier that kind of, I realized I didn't have an answer to that I would, that I, that I think might get you somewhere with me. Um, and that is, you said, well, how did we come to the point to which we no longer think that this is that this is possible or this is that you know um I think it was with regard to me saying that um everything is not an appropriate object of knowledge right yeah. um 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 and it reminded me a little bit of you know the shrinking of reason that happens 
as we go forward in time from ancient Greece to Hume, right? By the time you get to Hume, reason is simply a calculated capacity, right? I mean, it's something that we use in deductions. It's something that we use uh, in practical syllogisms. It's something, but for the Greeks, reason was the faculty by which one, you know, peered into the sort of the, 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 the core of reality, right? Um, and, and revealed ultimate truths and things like that. And now I entirely approve of this shrinking, right? Um, um, but if you ask me, well, how do you know, you know, what, why do you, how did we get to that point? Why did it shrink? You know, what's the reason for thinking that it should shrink? What, what's wrong with the, what's wrong with Aristotle's notion of reason? Um, um, that would be hard. I mean, I'm not sure I could, I'm not sure I could give you a, a, a satisfactory really answer. Right. I mean, that wouldn't in some way beg the question. Um, um, I guess I just think I would want to say that I guess I think the enlightenment thinkers sort of got us, got us more right than, than the ancient ones in this regard. Um, um, and I guess I also would say, would point to the sort of the practical efficacy that we find in that modern way of thinking, right? I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that modern way of thinking allowed us to, uh, to entirely transform civilization, right? By way of the industrial revolution, by way of, right? I mean, the, 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 the practical efficacy of this way of thinking is undeniable, right? Whereas the ancient Greek way of thinking, you know, we'd still have shit science if we kept thinking that way. Right. I mean, I mean, we, we would still, you know, we would still think all sorts of crazy stuff about, you know, about the world and about the reality and about all that. And I guess I just, um, that's the only answer I could give, but I couldn't give a better one. Right. Um, um, and if someone really came at me strong, you know, if an, Al- if an Alistair McIntyre, somebody came at me really strong about, the ways in which the Greek thinking were, were, were demonstrably better, I probably couldn't, I probably couldn't uh, refute it. Right. Um, and so I do wonder whether maybe ultimately a lot of this is temperamental, but um, yeah, I guess I just don't take everything to be an appropriate subject of inquiry. Um, um, but I couldn't, I don't know if I could give you a really good answer. Why did oh, yeah, it cease, the, because, the why did it cease to be a good object right i don't know if i can answer that right well i mean that it's a difficult question where the boundaries of inquiry are you know where you you come to a fence and the fence says you can't know anything beyond this fence at least not with these instruments right i mean that that's a deep and important and interesting question yeah my understanding of the sort of history of human progress is that we're we're kind of working with more tools now you know we have the empirical sciences we have growing branches of mathematics there are all sorts of interesting discoveries and developments. Ultimately, I think we kind of like all need each other. Like we need different personalities. We need Dan's. We need, I mean, ho- hopefully it's okay for there to be people working on the, the biggest questions. We can all sort of come together. Uh, yeah. I'm not the sort really who wants lead. to stop people. I'm not the sort who wants to stop people yeah, from doing things. I feel that. Um, but, and it, um. I do think that leads to the most progress. When you have people coming with all their different tools, and not sort of saying, hey, we have to figure it out all through reason or um, all just through our five senses. Um, and you have different people, different personalities. So my theory is that people who have a personality that's geared towards certain sets of senses, they tend to be better at using those tools and in investigations. 
And they would maybe tend to put a circle around their own tools because, precisely because they're better at using those. Yeah. Then you've got mathematicians who get really good at analyzing something quickly and making proofs and deductions through, I would say, the light of reason. Um, yeah. I do yeah. think these things can go together. Yeah. I mean, I, I, the only thing I, I would be able to say about myself would be in this regard would be genealogical, right? And so um, – I changed, this is a, I did not used to, I used to be like you more. Uh, Indeed, I was more you than you. I was a metaphysical realist. I was a Platonist. I was a Kantian. I thought there were absolutes. I thought there were, and I will tell you that when people ask me about the change, my change and the direction I've gone, Mm -hmm. I always attribute it to aging more than anything else. You mentioned this last time. Yeah. It's yeah. giving me this this sort of signpost. You're you're creating a roadmap for my yeah team. yeah. I, I feel like I feel like the yeah. kinds of totalities and certainties and absolutes and bignesses and all of that, uh-huh. to me at least, is a feature was a feature of my youthful th- of youthful thinking. That sort of wisdom wears away at over time. Now, of course, this is ridiculous as a generalization because there's plenty of old people right, who are absolutely planting as an example, right? I mean, all these sorts of people, right? And, and so, and so, I mean, I, I would never try to claim that this is something that would be generalizable or that would be constitute some sort of an argument. It's simply when people ask me about why my thought went this way, mm-hmm. that's the answer that I give. And I could explain why I could point to the various things in life that sort of convinced mm-hmm. me that there is no, absolute obligation that there is no universal this that there's no that um um but it wouldn't be something i think that would be generalizable and people could argue with me every step of the way on every single point um and so um i I wouldn't try to defend it more than that you know what i'm saying yeah no i feel what you're saying yeah you know there's an increased of awareness of complexity i think yeah yeah i just actually published an essay about talking about this a little bit with regard to uh, living your life according to big principles mm-hmm. and why just don't. <laughs> um, but um, hey, listen, I really appreciate you doing this. Um, Likewise, yeah, this has been an great. hour and a half disappear like it was five minutes, which is it's really tough wonderful. to end. But it's and, um, thanks very much, man. Yeah, thank you. This is great. Appreciate and uh, let's do it again sometime. Yeah, sounds good. All right, take care, man. All right, bye, Dan.